Welcome to Keith Knight. Don't tread on anyone. Today we have Jeffrey Tucker uh, of the American Institute for Economic Research, where he is the editorial director. We'll be discussing his new book, Liberty or Lockdown. Mr. Tucker, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find uh, the book? Amazon. Uh, head over there now. You can get it in physical form or um, Kindle. Terrific. So the American government was justified in shutting down the economy to a halt to stop the spreading of a deadly contagious disease that has killed millions of people worldwide in order to save the lives of Americans. How do you respond? Uh, nothing like this has ever been tried, and it's an experiment that failed. We never should have tried it, actually. We're, we're a country of, of laws, a bill of rights, constitution, that sort of thing. Uh, we've been at the issue of managing pandemics now for well, humanity has for a million years. I mean, we know about viruses. Viruses are, are everywhere. We know about how to manage them. In the 20th century, we managed them just fine. 48, 51, 57, 58, 60, 68, 69, uh, 2006, uh, 2009, and so on. Um, new viruses come along. There's nothing novel about a novel virus. And the idea that you would shut down people's rights and liberties uh, to Mitigate disease, that was an unprecedented social experiment. I go into my book, the details of where this nonsense com comes from. Uh, it's been building for over the last um, 15 years. All builders and their wild dreams for uh, forced human separation and, and uh, uh, universal uh, asphyxiation in the form of masking and uh, um, travel restrictions and border closures and, and school closures and, and uh, destruction of free enterprise, all these things have been fantasized by a series of scientists for a long time. Uh, the extraordinary thing that's come out almost daily ever since these evil, evil lockdowns have begun has failed to be able to document any kind of empirically significant relationship between lockdowns and life saves, like no relationship whatsoever. And we have this documented on study after study after study, the most recent one of which just came out this morning. So experiment, it's, it has failed uh, completely. We put we put a bunch of cranks and crazies and wackos in charge of the world briefly. And look what they did to us. Now, if I'm the average Joe, I'm thinking a virus goes from one person to another because they're close to each other. So if we spread people out, one, so we don't overwhelm the hospitals, and two, give us some time so we can get a vaccine, doesn't that just logically get us to a place where there's less interaction, less spreading of the virus? There's a lot of things in what you just said that uh, are, are under question. One is the idea that there's any kind of pressure on hospitals. We empirically we know that most hospitals in this country were not just not just not overwhelmed. They they emptied out because government wouldn't let you go get a surgery uh, because your medical procedure is non essential. So we bankrupted uh, hundreds of hospitals in this country with this with this gibberish. Uh, the, the, the second thing is that uh, a coronavirus, there's never been in, in the history of vaccines anything like a, a, a vaccine for a coronavirus. The common cold is, is one example of it. This is not polio. This is not uh, smallpox. This is not even mumps uh, uh, or, or measles or chickenpox. And you can take issue with some of those vaccines. I'm not sure we even need a chicken, you know. But anyway, that's another issue. Should be left up to the individual. Uh, but there's never been anything like a vaccine for a coronavirus. So we're going to come up with this novel solution. 
it's in that sense, it's very interesting. Like what's happening therapeutically is that this is turning out to be very much like AIDS. We don't have an AIDS vaccine, uh, but AIDS is very much under control. For one thing, the uh, symptoms are diminishing as, as often happens with many forms of viruses, that over time as herd immunity grows, the virus weakens. Uh, because the, why does the virus weaken? Because it has to get smarter to it has to get smart to live. And we can get into that. But uh, by the way, I don't think we can talk about any of these things without understanding something about immunology and virology, and um, epidemiology and public health. And one of the things you learn uh, uh, f from a, a, a basic understanding of that is that the goal isn't always to avoid the virus. Now it might be in the case of something like Ebola, but for for a, a, a widespread and and for the overwhelming 99.9% .9 of the population, 0.5% uh, uh, of the population, for this to be basically a mild a sickness, um, the the goal is not to avoid it. You know, yeah, sure. If you you want to wash your hands, you want to you want you want to shove off your herd immunity on somebody else, but basically you have to recode your immune system to every new virus. Uh, by the way, as I'm talking. I'm almost astonished that I have to say this because this is basically ninth grade biology. And every generation learned this. Uh, my mother, her mother, her mother's mother, they all learned this in, in basic biology class. They learned that you have an immune system that fights viruses around you and they have to be updated and upgraded just like you update your iPhone. And the only way you do that is by pressing, pressing upgrade, right? And you get the new codes, you get the fixes <laughs> for the changes. You know, the world changes and the virus world changes. And so you have to adapt to the new information that's out there. Your immune system adapts to the new information out there. So it's a huge and, and actually intellectually and medically outrageous idea that you should avoid viruses. That's just preposterous. You want to avoid viruses? Avoid the world. Is there any correlation, because I'm thinking of a way to falsify the lockdown theory, is there any correlation between states that had stricter lockdowns and better results and no. countries that had stricter lockdowns and better results, results meaning not necessarily numbers, but number of deaths? What's interesting about the question you ask is it's a, it's an empirical it's an empirical question, right? And so there's there's two issues that you have to address in any kind of empirical study. One is correlation, and then there's a second step, uh, which is causation, right? Much more difficult. Um, correlation is the first step, and then you have to run all sorts of uh, um, highly sophisticated statistical techniques to discern causation by basically introducing multivariant analysis and that, that sort of thing. What's fascinating about this question about whether there's a relationship between lives saved and lockdowns is that they can't even get to the first step. In other words, you, you can't prove any causation because there's simply not any correlation at all. There's nothing. It's just a bunch of scattered dots on a page. And that yeah, and we've seen this again and again and again. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the in the case of the U.S., I'll just use, well, we can call, look internationally. I mean, one of the most open states in the world is Taiwan. And uh, uh, they have very few deaths and very few infections. I mean, it's like, pfft, it's not even a thing. And they stay completely open. Now, uh, the Taiwanese case is fascinating because they had a, a pretty systematic uh, 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 testing a restriction at the border, so they're controlling for that. But there's even there, there's no relationship between the good outcomes in Taiwan and and the restrictions at the border. Uh, there's a lot of speculation about the Taiwanese case, which is one of the weirdest in the world, I must say. But uh, very few deaths at all. Uh, what happened is that ten years ago they had a very uh, a strong outbreak of SARS, 
Now, uh, the virus itself, the, the, the sickness is called COVID-19. It's a, it's a species of the coronavirus generally, but the virus itself is called SARS-CoV-2. And the SARS, SARS was allowed to run wild in, in, in Taiwan uh, 10 years ago. And there's a lot of speculation in this young population that they built up immunities and that's what did it. You know, that's, that explains the Taiwanese situation because there's a lot of cross immunities. Um, with other uh, uh, SARS uh, in the SARS family. So that's an interesting case, but they stayed completely open. A place like Peru, you have mass death and huge lockdowns. So, you know, I mean, there seems to be no relationship whatsoever. I would ask only one proviso, and I, I, I've yet to see this has been fully demonstrated, but it does make intuitive sense in some way that the more you lock down, the longer you delay herd immunity. And that's, I think, a big concern for the uh, signers of the Great Barrington Declaration. Uh, they were very concerned about this idea. These are medical professionals and a declaration that was signed by, by now, 6,000 uh, scientists um, and probably 9,000 medical uh, practitioners um, that the lockdowns are actually delaying her, uh, herd immunity and therefore prolonging the pain and the suffering and, and, and causing all sorts of uh, ancillary uh, grim uh, effects. One of your articles was fact-checked by USA Today, and it was regarding the Hong Kong flu of 1968. I read the article, and the verdict is your research was correct. Very well done. I had not heard of this. None of my parents or grandparents had heard of it. Uh, what was the Hong Kong flu of and what uh, can we learn from the implications of what happened? It was an H1N1 virus, same as 19, uh, 1918. Um, so a very, very serious flu. And it killed 100,000 Americans back uh, at a time when the population was far lower and far younger. And actually, I must say, healthier. So if you make the adjustments to the, to the current demographics um, for the number of Americans that, that, that died in 1968-69, it would be on the order of 240,000 from, from, from what was an H1N1 virus, which you'd think an H1N1 virus would have throw, thrown the whole country into a, a panic because it was identical. Not identical because every flu is slightly different, but uh, very similar to the 1918 Spanish flu. Um, but public health authority in those days, they knew after long experience that the right thing to do in the case of, of a serious flu epidemic is to maintain social functioning uh, as best as possible, not panic, not do weird things like violate people's rights or abolish the Constitution, and encourage young people, the non-vulnerable people, to, to intermingle, get together, socially closen, I guess we could say. And uh, that's why Woodstock went ahead. Now, when I wrote the article, it was very interesting because, because I wrote all about how we had this dreadful pandemic in 1968, 69, and along with civil rights, I was looking through the, the, the kinds of things that, that happened that year, one of which was the Woodstock uh, Festival, right? Music Festival. And so I pointed out that it happened in the middle of the pandemic. People said, oh, the pandemic peaked in uh, January, and then it, it had a second wave later in the year. So Woodstock happened you know, in between those things. Here's the problem with that kind of analysis, is that you don't know the waves uh, except ex post, right? You don't know what they consist of within... Uh, while you're in the middle of it. And one of the things that's fascinating is that um, um, BuzzFeed, I guess, because I got fact-checked by 
all the news organizations. Reuters initially said it was true, then they said it was partially true, then they said it was partially misleading. So <laughs> just it was basically a lobbying effort, you know, <laughs> on the part of the lockdowners. But um, I think it was Buzzfeed. Who was it? No, it was Scopes. Snopes said um, that they had uh, contacted the organizer of Woodstock and said, uh, uh, were you worried about the flu? And he wrote back and said, no, 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 we knew, we knew there was no flu. We knew the flu was already over in January, so it was, wasn't even an issue for us. Well, Phil Magnus here at, at uh, the American Institute for Economic Research found a clipping from um, uh, a newspaper, a New York, a small New York newspaper, where that exact same guy, in uh, the month before the Woodstock happened, uh, expressing public concern about the flu. And he made sure that he had doctors on hand to uh, take care of people in case they contracted it. So he openly and aggressively lied to Snopes. And we proved it by uh, posting that clipping. And I think I have a screenshot of that clipping on the, uh, the article now because I had to fight for my life during that period because the article got about 10 million, 20 million reads, something like that. And uh, and it was a great piece in a sense, like it was almost accidentally great. Like I just wrote it because I was like, why is everybody? My attitude is always like, it's a disease that's between you and your doctor. Why are we shutting down society? It's been my perspective since since February and this really January. Really, I've held that view for 15 years. But um, uh, uh, so, but the thing about the article is it 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 shocked people because people I think intuitively know there's something wrong. We're doing it wrong. Like. We've never had this happen in the history of the world, the entire globe shutting down for a virus. Like, what, why are we doing this? It doesn't make any sense. And so to point out that if we had locked down in 1968-69, that we would have lost the single most uh, significant uh, uh, musical, artistic, cultural, and even political event of the second half of the 20th century. That's pretty shocking, which makes you wonder how much culture, art, are we missing out on because we're all, many people are still locked in their homes. I mean, just, I mean, the lockdowns continue. I mean, you can't go to Broadway. You can't go to a theater in New York. You can't go to a bar and you can't settle up to a bar anywhere in Massachusetts, Connecticut, Vermont, New Hampshire. I mean, the whole thing is totalitarian and outrageous and there's going to be hell to pay for it. One of the great tricks the statists play is to make it sound as though there are solutions as opposed to costs and benefits. Henry Hazlitt says the art of economics consists in looking not merely at the immediate, but at the longer effects of an act or policy. It consists in tracing the consequences of that policy, not merely for one group, but for all groups. What are the secondary effects of the lockdowns that are going unappreciated by the media and politicians? Uh, it's tragic because, you know, back in March, we already wrote an article saying there's going to be suicides, there's going to be drug overdoses, there's going to be alcoholism, um, where there's going to be death by loneliness and uh, a mass depression and despair. We, we said all this because the empirical literature already verified that. We know this. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's a huge literature on this. You can look it all up. I mean, it's all there. You can make perfect, almost perfect predictions about what's going to happen. Well, now, suddenly, we do have the empirical information coming out. Suicides are up, drug overdoses, uh, missed cancer screenings, uh, 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 breast cancer, and every other form of cancer, uh, missed immunizations, which is, in other words, we created a public health crisis by enacting these lockdowns. And uh, I don't have to tell uh, you or your listeners about this. I mean, the last seven months have been, have been absolute hell on people. We still can't fly to Paris. Paris still can't fly to us. Uh, 
you know, we can't, we, we don't have the freedom to travel. I mean, I can't, I can't even go see my mother in Texas without uh, going under a two-week quarantine. I mean, this is fake science, bad public policy, de despotic actions that is, that's got this immense human cost. And I don't know what the hell is wrong with uh, public officials in this country that they can only think in this one single variant analysis. It's like stop the virus. Oh, yeah, you want to stop the virus, you stop the world. What happens when you stop the world? Um, there's going to be a lot of carnage, and we're going to be facing this carnage for 10 years, if not longer. Now, put yourself back in the mindset of February or March, and the average Joe might say, we did not know what this was. For all we knew, it could have killed one-third of all Americans. So the lockdowns were morally justified because we simply had no information. It's easy for the libertarians to now look back and say what should have been at the time. We didn't know. We played it safe and likely saved lives. How do you respond? If you don't if you don't know about a virus, then you shouldn't act as if you do. And that everything that we did about the lockdowns was acting as if there's some relationship with lockdown and controlling virus. There's no, there's no evidence of that. We didn't know, and and uh, and and therefore we shouldn't shouldn't have locked down because that's that's what laws are about. That's what rule of law is about. That's what traditions are about. That's what, I mean, you know, I documented so many cases in American history where we had egregious. Uh, public health crisis, and we never got rid of the Constitution. I mean, George Washington's uh, troops faced a, a terrible outbreak of of smallpox. It was grim and horrible, and they end up inoculating themselves. You know, they would get the smallpox dead, scrape off their scabs, injected them to their skin. They you have five percent death rate, but um, <laughs> from that kind of unsanitary attempts at inoculation, but they did it anyway because they understood something about science. I don't know what went wrong in the 21st century where, where we all pretend as if we don't know anything about viruses or immunology. Um, so, I mean, I had a hard time actually believing that this was happening. I remember March 8th was the first really big evil action in the United States. That was a shutting down of, of South by Southwest, the Austin uh, tech event that's attended by, I don't know, 10, 20,000 people, something like that. The mayor just canceled the whole thing, you know, invalidating contracts all over the place, uh, you know, ripping up plane ticks, imposing vast costs on the city and the, you know, the uh, hospitality industry and so on. And I, I decried it. I wrote an article saying this is this is an egregious China-like China, China -like action. So no free people uh, can live this way. And of course, it got worse. March, March 12th, we got the, uh, the 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 travel bans from Europe, and then later Australia and uh, and the UK, and um, people, families separated, into people trapped, and uh, it, it was just ghastly. And that was the Trump administration that did all that stuff. So they were the first real, <clears throat> despite Trump Trump's acting like a, some sort of you know champion of openness. And God God bless him to this extent. At least he's learned over time. But initially he was. He was absolutely terrible on on this virus, and he was, I would say, the beginning of the lockdown. So March 13th, the CDC issued through uh, Pence's White House task force a, uh, a a blueprint for what I read as a t totalitarian takeover of the U.S. I think AIR was the first people that first institution that released that um, that PDF of that thing. You're welcome to go read it. That was the Trump administration that did it. Now it's true that the states then went much further than Trump. And they st that they're the ones who there was no stay home orders in the March 13th edict, right? It was just travel restrictions, school closures, and that kind of stuff. But the states just thought, oh, this looks like fun. A bunch of governors, huh, it's kind of cool. 
yeah, I got, got power, might as well use it. So suddenly everybody's under house arrest. And we were told to stay inside because the virus is outside. And then later we were told to stay outside because the virus is inside. So, you know, I mean, this is fake science. It's fake science and it's uh, public policy malpractice of, of the worst sort. So if we take what was being communicated to us in March, the claim was cases are going to go up and up and up along with deaths until there is some sort of vaccine, more or less. So now that we're in September of 2020, mm -hmm. have cases constantly gone up at a consistent rate? Have deaths consistently gone up as a, at a consistent rate as we were told what would inevitably happen until there was a vaccine? Well, the, you know, the, the, a lot of people are saying we needed a single national solution on this. That's dumb because the virus travels regionally, right? Because viruses are, are interesting, right? They're not actually living, thinking things, but they, they have to hop from person to person. Smart viruses uh, uh, do it rather well by not killing their hosts. Stupid viruses kill too quickly, like the gladiator in the early film, in the early scenes of that movie. <laughs> you too, kill too quickly, right? So, that's Ebola, right? So smart viruses you know, hang around in your body, mostly asymptomatic and so on. So it traveled, it traveled south and it traveled west. And in each case, we saw the same wave. If you trust the, uh, I mean, you, you can't trust all the testing data. You can't even trust all the death data, unfortunately. But but for the most part, you can you can still, even though even though the data is a little suspect, you see this consistent sort of pattern. The, the virus comes and 70 days later, it's gone. And uh, the people it kills on, on, on average are 80 to 82 years old with uh, 2.6 uh, comorbidities, which means to say, which is to say very low life expectancy people. So, which is to say, what's very interesting about this particular virus, because if you're going to choose this virus versus say, a hundred other viruses, you know, among which, you know, AIDS and Ebola and all these other terrible things, uh, or 68, you know, which targeted pregnant women, or polio, which targets young girls between the ages of like seven and 12 and maims them for life. I mean, Jesus. Um, uh, and flu, seasonal flu can be wicked. I had a friend who just up and died at, at the age of 24, a perfectly healthy person from the flu two years ago. Uh, you would choose this virus. And the reason is this virus uh, is... Over, it's incredibly mild for the overwhelming amount of the population. We know precisely who the non-vulnerable populations are, uh, mainly healthy people under the age of uh, 70, 80. And actually, um, you can be 110 and have a healthy immune system and, and have no trouble with this, with this coronavirus. So we know specifically who it, who it harms. You would choose this virus. Um, I forget now your question, but yeah, oh, yeah. So anyway, so what happens, what happens in place after place, the virus arrives and, and its victims are those who cannot withstand uh, the virus. And then everybody else gets it. Herd immunity is achieved and move on. We've had herd immunity, more or less, kind of, sort of, at least according to the immunologists I talked to, or the, I should say the epidemiologists I talked to, in the Northeast since about the middle of April, if you can believe it. And yet New York's still locked down, New Jersey's still locked down, still got lockdowns in Massachusetts. So um, it's it's outrageous. We had some good governors in this country that figured out what they did wrong and just went ahead and opened up. So Kemp in Georgia, DeSantis in Florida, uh, Arizona has been you know, more or less okay. And uh, we had states that never locked down at all, South Dakota, North Dakota. South Dakota in particular, Naomi, or Christy uh, Nome is it's just been a great champion that she never locked down. And they have uh, uh, one of the lowest uh, uh, deaths 
per million in the United States. I mean, I think they're like the fifth lowest, right? So, and actually, if you look at all the no lockdown states, they had the lowest deaths per million of, of all the other states. So you can't make any sense of this stuff, right? And and it's not about population density either. We ran a study here comparing population densities between South Carolina, South Dakota and other other states with low population density and, and a handful of big cities like Maine and, and others. And South Dakota still comes out better. And I think the reason is that um, has something to do with uh, with herd immunity and also pre-existing immunities and T cells too. So there's a lot of factors that go into this. Let me say something to libertarians at this point because I think I think your audience might be um, you know li libertarian uh, minded. You can't uh, you can't use philosophical priors to understand viruses. That's a huge mistake. You know to understand something like the relationship of viruses to to um, public health. And to human liberty, it requires that you learn something about um, science. It requires that you hit the books and figure out something about immunology and and viruses, and not just make things up. So, in the early days of this, I've been very, as you have, we all have, been deeply disappointed in the libertarian response because they're very confused. I mean, the early days, uh, somebody said, "Oh, well, viruses—that's an aggression." So, so we all have to mask up and lock down, and so the government is. Uh, is, is totally justified in doing this because that's consistent with the non-aggression principle, which is just about ridiculous. It's the same thing as if I announced that lemons are extremely dangerous to you and started shooting people at the store who are, who are buying them. And then I said, well, I'm, I'm preventing people from aggressing against me with lemons. You know, I don't, I don't know. You, you can make up your tales, but libertarians need to get sophisticated about science. And they need to start taking other disciplines besides uh, their own, uh, seriously, and economists and and political philosophers and especially libertarian activists needs to start actually like taking a few days off and and reading uh, cell biology for dummies to figure out uh, what we're talking about here. It turns out a virus, getting a virus is not aggression. It very well could be benefaction. It might might you might be getting a favor because you're up to getting your your immune system. Isn't that what the flu shot is? I mean, I know so little about the flu shot. Yeah, that's okay. You know, I mean, I, I don't I don't personally get the flu shot, but uh, I know a lot of people do. They're about 30% effective. The reason is that there's basically four flus, and, and there's a forecasting model that has to go out every year. And so uh, immunologists get together and try to figure out which brand of flu shot they're going to they're gonna market as the, the one that's going to happen this year based on the probabilities of the flu. Uh, coming, they can get it. They get it right some years. They get it wrong some other, some years. On average, uh, the flu shot protects about thirty percent of the people get it, but only forty percent of the population um, uh, takes the flu shot. So the important thing to remember about about vaccines is not a, <laughs> a vaccine is not like some sort of disease shield. All right, it's not how it works. What it does is it gives you. Uh, a tiny uh, element of the uh, sickness itself and invites your body's immune system to build up immunities to that so that when the real thing comes along, you've already got your immunities. If you don't have a functioning immune system, the vaccine will not work, which is why this corona vaccine, uh, even if we had had it in January, we don't know how many lives it would have saved. Maybe none, maybe half. We don't know. But the reason people are dying from the coronavirus is they had they had extremely weak non-functioning immune systems, in which case the vaccine will not work. Now I'm telling you this, which you know is an extraordinary actually realization. I'm telling you this because this was told to me by a person who uh, serves on the task force to evaluate vaccines for the CDC. All right, he told me this vaccine. Uh, even if it happens, if it happens, uh, will not have long-lasting effects. It may only protect a, a, a 20, 30 percent of the population because you know viruses change, right? 
they evolve just like society evolves. Very interesting things, these viruses. Um, but the problem is that the, the people who need the vaccine don't can't respond to it because they have broken immune systems. And the people who have good immune systems don't need the vaccine. So this is a serious problem. I don't know. You think of it as Venn Viagram. Not going to help. Don't need. Maybe there's a small percentage of the population in, in between for whom this would actually be a benefit. Uh, I hope so. But uh, but even then, it you know may not provide lasting immunity. And here's another thing you have to remember. Um, and again, I'm not a doctor, and I I've not uh, I took ninth grade biology. Mostly, I learned all this stuff from my mother. But um, a very, the world's most important epidemiologist told me that there is no question, and any competent um, uh, uh, scientist will tell you this, that acquired natural immunities are far more safe and effective than any vaccine, even the best ones. So think about that. Wow. Again, the book is Liberty or Lockdown. Mr. Tucker, I have two more questions for you, mm -hmm. please. Um, it looks like the state uh, sort of sells us a new lie every decade. The state gets to grow because there's communism. Well, actually, there's terrorism and there's Saddam and there's the 2008 crash and there's inequality. And now there's racism and there's corruption in business. And now there's COVID. Every time they sell us on a new thing, and the masses fall for it. Do you have any philosophical uh, ideas or or ways of thinking that could get us to stop falling for this Charlie kicking the ball that Lucy keeps uh, tricking him with every single time? There's no question that the state is a very smart virus. It just keeps, it doesn't kill us. It just keeps, it just keeps living, going from person to person, you know, and, and crawling into their brains, you know. So that's, uh, uh, I wish we could get ourselves out of this, this idea that we can solve any social economic problems with, with government because we can't. I mean, the world's always going to be an imperfect place. We have to struggle through it and figure out how to, how to how to mitigate our problems, but but using compulsion and guns and coercion and big shots like uh, idiots like uh, Dan Andrews in us in uh, in Australia or Andrew Cuomo in New York. I mean, this is these people don't know medicine. They don't heal anybody. They don't discover viruses. They they don't they've not saved a single soul. In fact, it's just quite the, quite the reverse. Um, I don't know what to do. I I feel like we. Like libertarians really, really need to upgrade their knowledge uh, of of a variety of different fields because we keep being blindsided by new information and they get scared. And that's the other thing that I've really been disappointed at. It's just the sort of the lack of moral courage that I've seen over the last seven months. Uh, people going along with things, as you say, people going along with things when they shouldn't have gone along with them, you know. And um, uh, e even libertarians in this, I'm sorry to keep harping on this, but I mean, the left has been terrible also. The right has been, the National Review has, has been terrible on lockdowns. But libertarians should have known better and they should have spoken up earlier. Um, we need to upgrade our knowledge and we need to upgrade our moral courage and start speaking out. I think we can defeat this. The other thing is that I think there's a lot of public outrage uh, right now towards the lockdowns. And I'm hoping that over the next year or two or three, people are going to uh, think about what happened and what we let government get away with, and they're going to start building some serious extreme protections against letting this ever, ever happen again. 
Sure. The final question I have is uh, someone uh, I was speaking with said there are no libertarians or freedom advocates in a pandemic. The one thing this pandemic has done is make me more of a staunch socialist is the uh, existence of this pandemic or this virus, an indictment of the free market, self-ownership, non-aggression principle and voluntary contracts. To my mind, it's exactly the opposite. The only thing we've learned is that 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 free market, voluntary contracts, individual sovereignty and choice, and social order generally is the only thing that really works in the event of of a crisis. And and the worst thing you can do is is throw a, a bunch of of guns and cops at at what it really amounts to a medical problem. I mean, it's astonishing to me what ever would have done this. There is not a single textbook on on epidemiology anywhere on the planet Earth that recommends that you uh, lock people in their homes, uh, universal quarantines for the sick and the non-sick, that you ban travel, and quite the opposite. You know, Douglas Henderson, one of the, uh, Donald Henderson, one of the great epidemiologists in the 20, 20th century, the guy who eradicated smallpox said that none of these things work, you know, ma- ma- masks and travel bans, school closures. He says, if you do these things, you'll discredit public health for a generation and you'll turn it a manageable um, a virus into a social catastrophe. And he was exactly right. That's exactly what we've done. I want to thank everyone for watching. Keith and I don't tread on anyone. The book is Liberty or Lockdown right in the description. Give it a click. Check it out on Amazon. You can read the introduction, the forward for free, and that will uh, really make you pull the trigger on this purchase. Um, he cites uh, primary sources. He cites studies from uh, Israeli research that shows days it uh the virus comes to a population and then goes through it just mind-blowing things this is how we can combat the irrationality of the media and politicians mr tucker thank you so much for your time sir thanks for having me well well done thank you thanks